Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Nun Aleph in Maseches Nedarim. And we have a Mazel Tov. Moshe Lavi had a baby girl, another baby girl yesterday. And Bezat Hashem will be naming her this morning. If all goes well, Ibnay Jacob Shari Zion. Stay tuned for that. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Andrew came back from her at Stroll, inspired. Did you see the shine on Andrew's face upon his return? Like Reb- no salt, does it every time? Not unlike Rabbi Yehuda. Oh. Okay. So, five lines down on Nidalaf Amidalaf. Amar la bar kapar la bar the Rebbe. Unbelievable. You know, we were talking about this character. You know, we've, we've learned, we've met bar kapar before. We didn't know he was such a character. Um, and the way we said, right, that, the, that he's described by some of Farshim is Lachsam Sofer in particular, quoting somebody uh, by the name of Rabunim Eger. Okay, relation. Um, quoting this idea that Bar Kapar was somewhat of a um, humorist, like a comedian, whereas Rebbe didn't have the luxury, okay, and and uh, what I heard from uh, Ravari Liebowitz, a great Dafyomi master, and this was brought upon in, I think, uh, some of the uh, Rishonim, is the idea that Rebbe was, I mean, you have, to understand, you have to remember, this is during the time of the Chorban. And so as a public figure, it would possibly be uh, disrespectful and or inappropriate for him to have any degree of levity during the Chorban. So that could be another reason. In other words, uh, the way we said it yesterday was that when you're a gadol and you hear all of the troubles of Klal Yisrael, so then if you could find it within yourself to find something funny, so then maybe uh, that's inappropriate because maybe that's insensitive. But there's also this issue of the Chorban, are you, what degree of simcha can, we, can one have in the time of Chorban? Uh, the other side of Bar Kapara might be, you know, is there, it's like saying, saying that something that is, uh, put it this way, the Jewish approach uh, that to tragedy has often been with humor. You know, we are no strangers to tragedy. And sometimes looking at things, my grandmother, Aleah Shalom, was uh, a very funny lady. And she believes that the humor, she did believe that her humor, you know, was very helpful in getting through the Holocaust, for example, right? That sometimes if you could see the absurdity of things. And we've already quoted yesterday, Rabbi Kiva, Laughing, uh, we caught him. Happened to have caught him laughing yesterday, but we also remember that he laughs uh, when he saw the korban. Not laughter as if it's funny per se, like a joke, but laughter and the understanding that this is the way that Hashem runs the world, and that sometimes Hashem runs the world in ways that are unfathomable to human beings, and that seem ironic or or right. And so there is a humor in, into in understanding. There's a humility that comes with humor and understanding that things in the world are not necessarily you know, what they seem, and that can be funny. In other words, uh, even, even in a joyful way to know that everything is, and at the end of the day, in Hashem's hands. So maybe this is some of the dynamic. And so today we resume with the very unusual dynamic between Bar Kapara and Rebbe as follows. So, Amar la Bar Kapara le Bar say the Rebbe. Bar Kapara said to Rebbe's daughter, so this is on the day before uh, either Sheva Brachos, right? Don't forget, this, this, there was an episode in Bar Kapara yesterday was not invited to the wedding. He had an interaction with Rebbe saying, you should invite me, and he ended up getting invited. Rebbe knew that once Bar Kapara would come to this wedding, the wedding would take on an entirely different, uh, 
right complexion, which it turned out to be the case, as we will now read. What ended up happening at this party? The following. So first, he says he he for whatever reason warns Rebbe's daughter. He says, "Tomorrow I'm going to drink wine, and it's going to be accompanied by your father's dancing and your mother's singing." Okay, so the Rishonim get involved here. Uh, if you are looking for a halachic discourse on why is he talking to the daughter? Why is he hearing the singing of the mother? Okay, so you could say, I mean, the, the, is it literal? Is it a problem of kol isha? Are these gedolim? And in that context, there's not as much of an issue. Okay, maybe yes, maybe no. Be that as made, that's the story. So ben el asa chasne de rebi hava. So now, just to add another character to our story, there is somebody named Belasa. So now Rebbe was wealthy, as we've already described, right? Bar was telling him they spent $260 billion on this wedding. And so he also, he was, so he was a, he was a Gvir, Rebbe. And he had a shver, he had a son-in-law rather, who was quite the shtaltzy guy, right? So Ben Alasa was his name. He was a shtaltz. Why was he called Ben Alasa? Because he, he was a uh, trust fund baby, Andrew. <sighs> He got his father. He got his money from his dad. So, so, he, and then he married into Rebbe's family. Okay, the Asher Gadol Hava, as the Gemara says, right? This son-in-law was a very wealthy Shtaltzi guy. So, Azman the Behilul the Rebbe Shimon Berebi. So, Bar Kapara ended up being invited at the end of the day. So, some say this is a reference to uh, when after, right? Um, after Bar Kapara insisted on being invited when Rebbe invited him. Anyway, so he goes into the party, right? The wedding of Rebbe Shimon, Rebbe's son. And Amar Lebar Kapala Rebbe, and here we go. So now at the party, what's going on? Uh, Rebbe's worst nightmare comes true. Bar Kapara starts acting up and making a scene as follows. And he starts asking, my to'eva, what's the meaning of the word to'eva? What, in what pasuk? We're talking about Mishkav Zachar, in the twentieth paragraph of Ayikor, Mishkav Shishkav Zachar, Mishkav Eisha, To Eva Asushneim, Most Yimasud Meim Bam. The question that Bar Kapar is asking: Why is he asking this in the middle of a wedding? We're going to see the Maral. But he's asking why, when it comes to Mishkav Zachar, are we specifically using the word To Eva there? What makes that more To Eva than anything else? And it's so. Um, so he asks this question at the middle of a wedding of all places. And now Rebbe, who he knows, who Bar Kapar knows, is very interested in all shot of everything in the Torah, actually tries to answer the question. And called the Amalei Rebbe, the Hachain Hu To'eva, and any suggestion that Rebbe would make to this. So, right, so, so Bar Kapar is engaging Rebbe here, and Rebbe is actually, in the middle of the wedding, he's responding. And he's trying, and, and everything that Rebbe, uh, every shot that Rebbe tried to give for the word to'eva, paracha bar kapara. Bar kapara would reject. In other words, Rebbe would say, well, maybe to'eva is written by Mishkab Zachar for this reason. Bar kapara would reject it. And he suggests another reason. He would reject it. He'd keep rejecting each one and saying, no, that's not, that can't be shot for this reason. That can't be shot for a different reason. So now Rebbe finally says, okay, I get it. It's almost, it's almost like a riddle. Okay, so now you explain it. I get it. I, we, I don't understand why Toeva is definitely by Mishkov Sachar. Now you explain what it means. So Amalei Bar Kapara says to Rebbe, not so fast. To quote Rebbe Safar, not so fast. Don't, I'm not going to just give it to you right away. First, Tesei de Vizchi Tirmi Le Natla. 
First, your wife has to come pour me a cup full of drink. Okay. Asas Ramyalei. She's an Ashish Chayel. She pours him the drink. Again, is this appropriate or not? Um, you can uh, listen to our Bari Leibowitz. I'm not an expert on these things. But I can tell you uh, that she knew that her husband wanted Pshat. Right? The, she was an Ashish Chayel in that sense. That's what I mean. That Rebbe always would right, do anything to get Pshat. And she knew that of her husband. So she pours the drink. Okay, so now Amar Leila Rebbe, now Bar Kapar said to Rebbe, Kom Rakodli de Amarlach. Okay, come and dance for me. And then I'll give you the explanation. Amazingly, Rebbe wanted so dearly to know Pshat that he starts dancing. Wow. Okay? We see precedent of this. The art school quotes Bab uh, Metzia and Mem Aleph from Yochanan used to, if somebody could explain how Mishnais were consistent, he would carry their clothing to the bathhouse. These Gedolim were. All about right the pshat and understanding Torah in its in its greatest length. Why Bar Kapar would ask him to dance is a question in itself. But Andrew is starting to appreciate why Rebbe didn't invite him. But be that as it may, this because right, this is this is becoming a theme now at this party, as, uh, and not everybody appreciated it, as you'll see. But be that as it may, Rebbe is now dancing for pshat, and so now Bar Kapar offers pshat as follows: Hachi This is what the Torah says: Toeva. What it's trying to say is toe ata ba. Yeah, you're you're wrong about this. You're getting lost. Toe, you're straying. Which is to say, you're you're going off the path over here. Toeva is a lushon of if you're getting involved in Mishkov Zachar, you're 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 going in the wrong direction over here. That's what the Torah means. Okay. So the chasa achrina we're gonna we're gonna try to explain it, because now there's gonna be three separate psukim. All having to do with illicit, uh, right, illicit relations. And for whatever reason, of all places, this is being discussed at a wedding by Bar Kapara. So we're going to have to put it together soon. But the first one is Toeva. Next, Lachasa Achrina Amale. In order to get another cup of drink, amazingly, Bar Kapara says to Rebbe, my Tevel. Where is the word Tevel? Now, you know, we usually associate Tevel with, with Meiser. This is a different pasuk over here. This is with bestiality. It says in Bayekur Yudchas, Okay, not allowed to have bestiality. And a woman can't have bestiality with an animal. What's, what do you mean tevel? That's actually not a bad question. What in the world is the word tevel doing here? So, Rabbi says all these, you know, so th- this means they end up going through the same rigmarole as before, right? He says, you expl-, and they, he tries to give shot and he can't. So finally he says, you explain it. So Amalei, evidly the Omerlach, do what you did for me before and I'll give you the explanation. In other words, start dancing, baby. So Avad, Rebbe sure did. And Amalei, and so Barkapar said to Rebbe the following shot. Tevel, who? When it says Tevel, who in the Torah, with respect to bestiality, what it means is Tavlin Yeshba, Tevel from Lashon Tavlin. Tavlin, as you know, it means a spice. In other words, my Shanya Hadabia mean Kulun Bios. In other words, bestiality, right, is a type of illicit relation. But is there really anything to it that makes it more um, spicy than other relations? Which is to say, right, Tavlin. Which is to say, 
It's gratuitous. That's what it means. Gratuitous means... All right. How do I explain this to you, Andrew? There's a... <laughs> I mean... I read the note, I guess. Oh, you read the note. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, no. I'm not explaining to you because I know anything. Here's what I'm trying to say. The, the, the idea here is that there... Okay. In the Bria, there is an uh, inclination, right, for relations. We know that, right? However, we've seen this societally, Barry, uh, as well, where sometimes it's gratuitous, right? Sometimes it's wholesome, and sometimes it's not wholesome. It's just for the sake of, like, acting like an animal. Uh, I remember, you know what, now that you mention it, you know Prus Control, Rabbi Prusansky? So Rabbi Przansky, he, he was in the five towns and he moved to, uh, he moved to, he made Ali, I believe. This is a Yossi Shulman's buddy. Anyway, he wrote an article when they allowed uh, same-sex marriage. You know, it was a big deal in the Obama administration. They allowed same-sex marriage and everybody was celebrating. He wrote an article, you'll see soon they'll be uh, allowing bestiality because, you know, that happens to be illegal. And everybody... Oh, everybody denounced him. Everybody said that this is uh, this is horrible. What do you why you, you know? I'm saying like uh, why are you violating everyone's rights by mentioning it? Um, and, and it just so happens that the next week they allow they uh, bestiality, which had been uh, usser in in Europe, uh, became allowed. So like in other words, he was getting vilified, right? Because he was because it was a very popular vote to allow same sex marriage. And okay, so he's getting vilified, whichever, whichever side you fall in on that issue. But as he was saying it, it just so happened that it became allowed in Europe. So to give you a foreshadowing of where it's going. And so all I'm saying is this is literally the topic over here where he's saying, you know, people are straying off. And why is he doing this stuff? Go to wedding, Andrew, because it is a highlight after all, don't we say in the Berchos of the Shem Berchos, Sher Asa Lanu, Esa Suros Lanu, Beshehitir Lanu, right? We explain that we are in the context of a union that involves relations, but in a wholesome context of such a union. And so he's trying to explain why are all these other things toevas? Because they're gratuitous, Barry, right? This is, right? Tavlin Yeshba, right? Is there anything to it? No. The only thing that could be to it is some sort of rebellion or weird warped right uh desire right to to go off in some other outlandish direction that that's the motivation that's what he was trying to say that is the explanation of the maharal okay very cool all right so anyways this is this is why it's appropriate in a wedding to have these discussions now amarlight umai zima finally the third one is zima zima is talking about the zaina right the zaina is filled with zima depravity Okay, what's the Lush and Zima? So Amalei Bar Kapar says to Rebbe, Ivid Kinyon Kadma. Go ahead, do that dance again with the serving of the drink. Okay, so they go through the whole thing and he explains, and after going through the whole thing, Bar Kapar says to him, Zu Mahi. Yeah, Zima is from Lush and Zuma, right? If you're with, if, if a woman is with multiple partners, right? <laughs> like if the aforementioned Michelle Obama all of a sudden had a white, a Caucasian baby, Right, the internet would break. Right in the middle of the, <laughs> so right, you see the baby and you say, "What is this?" Okay, so that's the lashon zima. Anyway, to make a long story short, this is all going on during the wedding, 
and Ben Elasa, who strikes you as a like an uptight Shtaltzi son-in-law, Lo Yachin Ben Asal Misbal. He 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 can't stand any of this. He's super uptight, and, and he come Ben Afakuva into say mitaman. Yeah, he and his wife say, "Let's get out of here." <laughs> they left the wedding. They were they were they, this was not for them. Um, they felt like th- their father. He felt like his shveh was being treated disrespectfully. He obviously the uh, Maharal's point was lost on him, right? Barkapara's uh, motivation was not impressing him, and so he got out of that party. Nigamar now discusses this Ben Alasa a little bit more. My Ben Alasa, why is he called Ben Alasa? The Tanya, Pizer Ben Alasa Esmaosav. This was the one noteworthy thing about Ben Alasa. What was it? He got his inheritance. He had a lot, a lot of money, but he didn't just use it frivolously on charcuterie board, Andrew. Yeah, he used it on getting $10,000 haircuts like the Kohen Gadol. What's so special about the haircut of the Kohen Gadol? This is the Yad Ramah, quote in the Arts Girl, says that he, this, he would give himself the Kohen Gadol haircut. There is something called, when you go to the barber, Barry, you could, give him, tell me, you could tell him, give me the Justin Bieber, give me the this, give me the that, or you could say, give me the Kohen Gadol. What's the Kohen Gadol? That's actually the Pasuk says by the Kohen Gadol, it kind of describes their haircut. Right? We know that they can't shave their heads. And they can't grow it out either. Rather, do the Kohen Gadol haircut. What's Kasom Yichsimu? Lashon Kusmim. As we explain, Kusmim is what? Spelt. In other words, it should be layered, uh, feathered. And layered like spelt, where the end of one hair touches the root of the other. That is quite difficult to do. It's a real pachki, Andrew. You could sit there for 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 ten hours and get and get your hair done. Tana, okay. So kasam Tana. It was taught in the bright. I have some coworkers, Andrew, that when they have to do their hair, it takes hours and hours and hours. There's a whole bunch of braiding and weaving that goes on. Tana. Kein lulianis. This refers to the Lulianic haircut. My Lulianus, in what way? It's a singularly unique hairdo. See, I wasn't kidding. The tip of one hair is right up against the root of the next one. This is the kind of layering and feathering that goes out in the coin gadol part. And this Ben Alasa, and I know I'm sounding... Um, Somewhat uh, derogatory, but he's just not my kind of guy, Andrew. What can I tell you? Uh, but to each his own. Anyway, he used to get these $10,000 haircuts. Very uptight, stultzy guy. He was really proud of himself that he had a rich schwer. And he didn't go for any of this Barkapara stuff. And all of the meaning of it seemed to have been lost on him. So he and his wife left in a huff. Okay, Barry? Painting a story. Good. Let's get back to our topic. Five lines up from the Mishnah. Two dots. What was the topic to begin with? How we get into this? When a person swears off um, cooked stuff. So if uvidlas harmutza, if somebody swears off harmutza gourd, my last harmutza, what's this remusa? Amashmul, kara karkuzai. It's a karkuzuin gourd, right? Uh, the thing about this kind of gourd is that it cannot be cooked. In other words, that you can eat because it can't be cooked, right? You're swearing off cooked stuff. And that you can eat because it can't be cooked. Ravashi Amar, the last atmuna beremets. No, it means any gourd that is baked in remets, which is hot ashes. Okay. So Ravashi then says, uh, no, so now we ask Akash and Ravashi, because he says it's 
uh, the manner of baking. In other words, take any kind of gourd and then, and then bake it in hot ashes. But Eisvi, Ravina, Laravashi, Ravina has a brisa. And the brisa says the following. From the Chemia Omer, the last Aram is he the last Amitris. You should know that Armenian and Egyptian gourd is the same thing. And Kilaim Imayavanis, and it would be considered Kilaim with a Greek gourd, which is to say, right, because Kilaim is you can't have two different minim together, and so they are not the same. In other words, if you were to, what, plant Egyptian and Armenian together, that would be the same. But if you did either of those with Greek, that would be an Isser of Kilaim, because that's not the same. And Kilaim Imharamutsa, oh. And it's also be Kilaim with a Remutsa gourd. Well, Ravashi said that Remutsa was Lushan Remitz, that it meant any gourd in a matter of how you'd prepare it with hot ashes. Well, that's not what this price suggests. This price sounds like it's a species of gourd that might be Kilaim with something else. And so that's why Ravina brings this price, right, as a contradiction to Ravashi's shot of what Remutsa actually means. Says the Gemara Tiyufta. That's a good one. Okay, that's a good reputation. It can't mean uh, hot ashes. It must mean that it's a type of species based off of this brisa. Fine. So now we have this Mishnah, Hanoidim in Maisa Kedera. Now, we already said this. We had this in a previous Mishnah, Memtes. Naran says it's a misprint. It's like a copy, it's like a stray copy paste. Okay? That's what Naran says. Anyways, so let's read it again. Hanoidim in Maisa Kedera, Enosalim Resachta. This is interesting. So you say, I, I, I am making another, I can't have anything from the pot. So it's only, you can't eat any food that's prepared by resachta, a lot of boiling. Okay. But if he says anything that goes into the pot, I won't taste. Then he can't have anything that's not nasabikadera. So we're going to see now, uh, the Bryce is going to explain it. In other words, there's going to be, so to speak, a cheftzagavr issue here, right? Because there's certain foods like pot roast, right? So pot roast, <laughs> do you mean pot roast, like what we call pot roast, the meat that's roasted in a pot? Or do you mean anything that's roasted in a pot? That's basically, we're going to have very, uh, a couple of versions of this discussion. So it's as follows. Watch this. Tanya, Bryce says like this. I know them in a yard like a dera. So you make a net. You say, I'm not going to have anything that goes in the pot. Also, be yard like Then you can't even eat what goes into a pan. Why? Shekvar yard like a dera, kodem shiard like Because that was the manner of cooking then. How would you pan fry? You would first cook it in a pot, and then you put it in a pan. So if you say it can't go into a pot, the chiddush here is that putting it in a pan afterwards, right? Pan frying afterwards doesn't undo the cooking. You know, like the Ein Bishel Achar Bishel. So you say, I'm not going to have the cooked food. So what if you take the pargiot or whatever, you cook it first and then you grill it. So, but it's still cooked. So, okay. So in other words, this is all Lushem Bnei Adam, as we'll see, right? So what do people mean when they say, I'm not going to have it cooked? They mean, I, don't, I won't have it raw, let's say, okay? However, if you said, the, the converse would not be true, right? Because if you said, I'm not going to have any pan-fried stuff, so it would make sense that you could still eat cooked stuff. Right, because that's the next stage in, in the cooking is the pan frying. So I'm not going to eat any fried foods. Okay, well, you could eat cooked foods. That's the whole point, Andrew. Yeah, you got it? All right. Then Bryce continues. I mean, a Nasami Kadera. person says, I'm not going to have anything that's finished in a pot. That's what Nasami Kadera means. Then, Mutabin Nasami Ilpas. Now you're saying, now you're not saying, I'm not going to eat anything that had been cooked, even if it's now fried. Now you're saying, 
it has to be finished. Nasa Bikadera is like, I won't have this cooked, but I'll have it fried. Okay, so then obviously you could then have it fried. Right? Then mean a nasabi ilpas, and why you say if you finished in a pan, then mutter binasabi kadera. And vice versa. That converse is, does work, right? If you say, I won't have it fried, then of course you could have it cooked. Vice continues, Hanoider min hayorid latanur. I say, I'm not going to have anything that goes into the oven, ain't us or elabifas. So this is an example of what I was saying before. A yorid latanur, it doesn't, it doesn't really mean an oven. It actually means bread, because that was, the, that was what was typically baked in ovens in those days. It's really the only, Main thing, what? Yeah, exactly. Andrew was just in Israel. He was in Machane Yehuda, and he saw that that's what they're baking in the ovens. Very good, Andrew. You really uh, integrated. It's almost like he can't speak English anymore. This guy. And by the way, those sandalim you're wearing are called sandalei tanach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are sandalei tanach is what even secular Israelis call. Right, sandal, those, those special leather sandals, because that's what they wore in the Bible. Okay, very good. All right, ain't also elevipas, and that hat on your head is called a kova tembel. <laughs> a kova tembel is a, uh, a dunce cap. <laughs> okay, uh, it, you ever see the Israeli hats where it's just like a bucket hat? Anyway, that's what they call it. Ain't also elevipat, beam amar kolamasa tanur alai, but if he said, Anything that's in the oven. Okay, so that's a different thing, right? Yorid Latanur is obviously talking about bread because that's, that's what they used to do, as Andrew saw in Israel. That's how they used to do it. And you went to Katsrin also, didn't you? No. Oh, you didn't? You missed Katsrin this time? Drove you drove right by it. And then you say anything that goes into an oven is prohibited. So then, uh, then that, that would actually be referring to the oven itself. And therefore, if it had been prepared in an oven, it would be also good. So now we're on the Mishnah on the top of an Alpha Amad Bez. Talk about pickling. So if you say Minha Kavush, in Asr Milakavush Shal Yerik. Yeah, if you say I'm prohibiting pickles, then it's just, it means pickles. You know that there's a process, Barry, called pickling, right? But pickling doesn't mean you turn everything into what we call a pickle. It means it's a type of, right, it's a type of preservation type spices and, and such. And so, but there's two ways of saying it. You say, I swear off pickles. So that's pickles. But if you say, but if you say, I'm not going to have anything that's pickled, so then also, so then you're also, then whatever's pickled, you can't have. Good. The Ran says that that's undercooked, and that's why the article says undercooked. We're not going to go with that. Because shaluk always means boiled. Let's go with that. This is a machlokas rishonim here, Barry. Let's just go with boiled. You'll see. It'll be fine. So, I mean, hashalak, if he didn't allow, him to self, allow himself to have boiled food, so now he's forbidden only from flanken, from, from boiled beef, because that's what it meant. Shalok, I guess in those days, meant like flanken, right? Boiled beef. Shalok shani time, but if you literally say, not mina shalok, flanken, you say, shalok shani toim, I won't have anything that is boiled, then asr b'cholash shalokim, then you can't have anything boiled. Says the Gemara, amr le'ravacha b'reder v'avi le'ravashi, amr dechvish mai. Wait a minute. If you say anything that's preserved, dechvish, kavish before we said pickled, so that is a different thing, right? The Mishnah says two possibilities, either a pickle or that, or uh, for or 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 anything that is pickled. What if you said dichvish 
that which is typically pickled, or dishlik, that which is typically boiled, or ditzli mai, that which is typically roasted, right? So the difference, it's like an in-between, because he's not saying pot roast, he's not saying anything that's roasted, he's saying that which is roasted, which is like hard to tell. Is he referring to pot roast? Because that that, that's like the most typical thing which is roasted. Or is he referring to anything that's roasted? So, so Barry, we found an in-between Lushan. We don't know what it means. Or Demaliach, that which is usually salted. What does it mean? Mai. Hei mashma. Which one of these two possibilities does he mean? The, the thing that's most commonly, right, roasted or pickled or, or boiled? Or anything that's roasted, pickled or boiled? But our Mishnah says the two extremes. Here he's saying something in between, and we don't know what exactly it means. And the Gemara says, Tibai. That's a good question. Look into that. <laughs> okay, next Mishnah. Here we go. Pot roast. Minatzli. Pot roast. Ain't also el minatzli shel basar. Yeah, so when you say pot roast, you don't mean anything that's roasted in a pot. You mean pot roast, Andrew. I haven't seen pot roast in a while in, uh, at Simchas. They're, it's all about the cured meats now. So gross. And you can see all the fats. I'm not a fan. It doesn't matter. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda. So he said, the Rabbi Yehuda says that means pot roast. Tzali shani tohim. Now he's, that's a different thing. That's, that's when he says anything that's roasted. So then, as it would stand to reason, as the Mishnah says, Asr bechol atzluim. He would be Asr, anything that's roasted. How about minam maliach, anything that's salted? So maliach ain't no Asr, ela minam maliach shal dag. That usually means those salty fish dishes. Maliach shani time. But if you say specifically that which is salted, so then Asr bechol maluchim. So then you're being specific. You're saying anything that's salted. How about dag dogim shani time? Any fishy fish. Asr behain ben gedolim ben ketanim. So then, Little fishies, big fishies, all fish is off. How about bein meluchim bein tefillim? Right, it doesn't matter whether it's salted, unsalted, honey mustard, sriracha, bein chaim, bein muvishalim, herring, ceviche, uh, ceviche fish or, or meat. I always get, a, it's raw fish, yeah, ceviche. And carpaccio is the raw meat. Okay, good, that's going to become relevant. Thank you, Andrew. I always get that confused, but you always got my back on that. Ben Chaim, Ben Mevushalem, whether it's Savishi or it's the Rostem. Saviche. Sorry, Andrew. Uh, Andrew's about to walk out in a huff. Saviche or Ben Mevushalem. So do you want the cooked salmon roll? Do you want the raw salmon roll? Mutter, Betaris, Trufa, Betsir, Memorias. But what you are allowed to, so you can't have any fish, but then what you can have is the chopped taris, which I call gefilte fish. What, what's this chopped taris? It's like a large fish, okay? It's cod or whatever gefilte fish is made out of. But you chop it up. Carp, carp is what gefilte fish is made out of. Thank you, carp. That's what I meant. <laughs> but what do you do? You, you chop it up. You put it in a thing. Is that really fish? Like when you go fishing, you never catch a gefilte fish, right? <laughs> so, so, that is, so, so that is allowed. And brine, Okay is the, the fish juice. So, you, Barry, you've seen um, Tzir and Morias. You've seen gefilte fish in brine in, in, at, uh, at Seven Mile, right? You see how it's sold in a jar? So that's not fish. That's the funny part of this Mishnah, right? It's saying, like, that's not really fish. When you swear off fish, they mean whole fish type things where you could tell that it's a fish, not a gefilte fish. That doesn't exist. Gefilte fish is not a species of fish. Anyway, Hanoided min hatsachana. You can't have tzachana. Also, betar is trufa. So tzachana, tzachna, is also 
a mixture of small to, uh, of uh, small salted fish. Um, some of it is whole, some of it is chopped, and you say I'm not going to have that that uh, herring tachna thing. But so then then you can't even have if you can't have that chopped thing, you can't get filled fish either. However, but you could still have the brine and the fish juice from the jar. You just can't have the fish from the jar. Delicious. Do you ever have the? I'm not going to put you on the spot, but did you ever have the gel from the jar? When I grew up, I also thought it was delicious. Ugh, I can't believe we just admitted that. Anyway, we can't, so you could still eat that because that's not fish, Barry. Hadoider mitaris trufa. He makes a nether prohibiting the gefilte fish. So then, mutter betir vimurias. So then you can't have the fish, but you could still have the brine. In other words, either way, you, you, uh, you can have the brine because that's not really fish, Andrew. Okay. Let's see the Gemara here. Tanya. Shimonalazar wants to make the following distinction. We said dog and we said dogim. So if you say dog and you don't say dogim, you, you are not allowed to have the whole fish. You can't order the whole fish at Cafe Rimon, as Andrew does, because he likes to go for the most expensive thing on the menu. But you can have sardines and herring to your heart's content. Okay. Daga shanitam, and if you said the word daga instead of dag, so then daga means small. Then you can't have the sardines and mutabigdal, but you can still have the whole fish, the whole sea, Chilean sea bass, you can have it. And therefore, he's making a distinction, right? Dag means a big fish, daga means a small fish, and that's how that, roll, that goes. However, dag, daga shanitam, but if you say dag, daga, as we said in our Mishnah, then also bain bigdal and bain mikhtanim. Then, then, like the Mishnah says, then you can't have big or small fish. So it sounds like a distinction here between dog and daga. However, I'm a little popular Godolhu. What makes you say that dog means a big fish and daga a small fish? Well, let's go to Yonah. There it is. Right? It was a big fishy. That swallowed up Yonah. It was, had to have been a big fish, and it was. And the Pasuk literally says that it was big. Hashem uh, uh, prepared that for him. But we have, if you look, if you read all of Yonah, then you'll see that the Pasuk also says, Well, if Daga is a small fish and Dag is a big fish, then what's going on here? First, Hashem uh, invites the big fish to swallow him, and then he's praying from where? From the innards of a daga. So daga can't be a small fish. How would Yonah fit on the inside? And anyway, I thought we just identified Yonah's whale as being a big fish. So the Gemara says, Halo Kasha. That's not really Kasha, because you got to look at the Medrash, says the Gemara. Dilma palte dagadol vale dakatan. Yeah, look at the Medrash. There was a big fish that swallowed Yonah. And guess what? It was a little too spacious. It wasn't so bad. Getting swallowed wasn't fun. And getting thrown off the ship and then swallowed wasn't the fun. But once he was in there, it was talking not so bad, Barry. And so it was spacious enough. And so he was not motivated to daven enough yet. So Hashem had to make it according to the Medrash so that he would have to be spit out of the big fish. And now he was swallowed by an even smaller fish and a female fish, a daga, to boot. with tons, And she was pregnant, Barry. So there's a, a whole bunch of little fetus fish in there. And now it was really tight. That was an uncomfortable fish experience. And there, Yonah said, okay, now he really davened. And so that's why it says, It wasn't until he was even more uncomfortable in the daga 
that he davened. But they're both large fish. Okay. So that's not a stira to Rav Papa. In other words, the fact that he davened from the daga and the dag is not necessarily a stira. So now the Gemara says, well, uh, but can daga really mean a small fish? What about the fish that died for Makas Dam in Mitzrayim? What about that? That's referred to as Daga. So what are you going to say? That Daga only means small? That Ketana Mesu Gedon Lo Mesu asked the Gemara? That only a small fish he died? And what, the big fish were doing fine? That can't be. But Daga Shebeor Mesa has to mean that all the fish died. The Gemara concludes as follows. That when you read Psukim and you see Dag and Daga, it doesn't really mean anything that's big or small. However, Uvindarim, right, as we said, right, that's what Rashim Allah was saying. And when you make a nether and you use the word Dag or Daga, then that's specific to size. In other words, in the Psukim, Dag and Daga does not uh, mean that it's specific to size. It is only in the Lashon B'nai Adam. Colloquially, when we talk, so then when we say dag, right, uvindarim, right, halach achar lashon b'nei adam, says the Gemara. When you say dag, you mean a big fish, and we say daga, you mean a small fish. And of course, as we've said from the beginning, whenever we make nadarim, we're actually using the lashon b'nei adam as our marker, because our whole thing is, what did this person mean when he said this, this thing? So that's what it means. That dag and daga, so they're both right. Rabbi Lazarus, uh, Rabbi Shimon bin Lazar, rather, is correct in that Dag means big and daga means small. And this conversation between Papa and Abaye with regards to what it means in the Psukim is a separate conversation because that's just what the Torah means, not what the Lashem Deyalda means, and therefore everyone can be correct over here. Fine. Finally, another minute, you don't want Tzachna. A similar question we asked, says the Gemara, A person says, I can't have Tzichin. Okay. Like, uh, what would be a, would, would that prohibit you from eating the, the fish and all, the filter fish and the brine and the jelly? What would be the lacha? Says the Gemara, Tibai. That's a good question. You should look into that. Okay. Um, fine. Should we continue with the Mishnah on the bottom of Nadalf and Bez? Yeah, we can do a little bit more here. I know you in Hachalav Mutter Bakom. What's the difference between wheat? Uh, a whey and milk. You know, the, when you have fresh milk that you leave to stand, right, that's where you get the word comb, right? That's, it stands apart from the milk. That's called the whey. We have homogenized milk. Do you know what homogeny means, Barry? Uh, Rabbi Mordechai Willig Shlita, the Ramu, always points out when he went to KBY, which is on my mind a lot these days, the Yeshiva KBY, I'm speaking, actually, I was, oh, I, sh- I, I mean, I don't mean to show off, but I had a long talk with Shalom Rosner last night. He's a Rebbe these days in KBY. Anyway, long story short, he was saying, and the great Afyomi master, Shalom Rosner. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to show off, but I spoke to the great Afyomi master, Shalom. Did I mention that I spoke to Shalom Rosner last night? Anyway, no. so he's in KBY. So, so he, um, so he, uh, oh, so speaking of KBY, when Mordechai Willig was KBY, that was in 1967. I know because that year, he went to, uh, they, 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 he dug his own, it was simpler times. He, for, he was digging, his parents came to visit him in Israel. There was no inter, internet in 1967. And people weren't reaching each other by cell phones. So his parents came to visit him for Pesach. 
And I don't know if you remember, there was a lot of tension before Shavuos in 1967. So as they were walking to meet, to, to see their son, see how he's doing in yeshiva, he was in, you know, Nasser had declared that he's going to destroy all of uh, Israel, all the way from Egypt, all the way to Tel Aviv. If you draw a line, it passes through KBY. So can you imagine? It's simpler times. His parents came to visit him, and he's literally digging his own grave because they were digging graves for themselves. Uh, that's what they were doing because, not, you know, they were digging graves and bunkers to hunker down for the big... Um, if people don't remember necessarily, they remember that we captured the old city in 1967 in the Six Day War in June of 67, but they don't necessarily remember that prior, part of the miracle was that prior to that, we thought we were going to be destroyed, right? <laughs> and so it was like a Yerida Tzarechaliyah. So they came for the part where they thought it would be destroyed because that was like Pesach. That was pre-June 1967. Ultimately, later, Rabbi Willig um, uh, did go on that fateful first Shavuos, which was right after the 67 uh, war, when they had cleared out the Kotel Promenade for the first time. And he remembers that incredible experience of Tikkun Lel Shavuos at the Kotel, the Shachris, the, uh, the uh, Vasikin at the Kotel that particular year, 1967. Anyway, it's all a long way of saying the milk wasn't homogenized in KBY in those days. And so he remembers slicing off the, the kum. So anyway, so that's the question here. When you are swearing off milk, are you allowed to have the kum? Uh, but and when you swear, which is the way, and Rabios, and if you uh, are swearing off the way, are you allowed to drink the milk? Right, Rabiosi oser min hakum muter But if you just swear off the way, which is totally understandable, you can still have the milk. If you swear off cheese, you can't have it, whether salted or unsalted. And then the next one will, having talked to cheese, you know what, let's make a separation between meat and milk over here and start tomorrow with the last three words on Nanalfan Bays, on Noider Min Habasar.